There are a lot of life lessons that a person can learn in the car. And the way that people drive and what we do while driving, would you not agree? Let me give you an example of this. Um, on the screen here, there's a situation that uh, many of us have faced uh, as drivers. I would say, especially with Minnesota construction, all of us have faced this at one time or another, where either three lanes merge down to two because of construction or two lanes merging to one. And one of the, the questions that you have to answer when maybe you're in this lane and things are going to merge is, how quickly do I get over into the merge lane, right? That's a decision that we have to make. Now, a little bit of a fun fact that I'm giving you free of charge this morning, that the DMV actually suggests that drivers use both lanes as long as possible because it allows traffic to move quicker and then you do something, you can Google it, called the zipper merge. But we're not going to talk about that today. But that's what the DMV says. Now, in practicality, most people tend to get over into the merge lane quite early. Maybe as soon as they see the sign because they want to be polite. And so at times, you're in this busy lane for two one, three miles before you actually merge. That's most people. And then there's other people. That while you're in the merge lane and there's hardly any traffic in the left lane, out of your peripheral vision, you just see and feel cars just going by you after you've been waiting five minutes and 10 minutes and they're just going by you and it doesn't feel so good. And as they're going by you, you know that they are up for that inevitable confrontation of the actual merge when suspecting person puts on their right blinker to signify to everyone, it is now time for me to cut in front of you who have been waiting for 10 or 15 minutes. Has this ever happened to you, right? All of us. Now, have you ever been one in the merge lane, right? And you're the one there, and all of a sudden, the guy with the blinker, which might be me at times, um, puts on that blinker and is trying to merge in. You know, how do you feel in that moment? Like, this isn't a fair thing. I've been waiting. This, this person is, is trying to take advantage of my generosity in allowing them to come in. And sometimes you do let them in, and many times you don't. There are other times when maybe you weren't um, watching very close, and there's a large larger gap in front of you and the guy in front of you, and um, someone just kind of quickly sort of scoots in there, right? So then what do you do after that? Especially, you know, if you're a guy usually, is that you begin to hug the bumper of the person in front of you as close as you can so as to signify to everyone, no one else is getting in here, not today, not on my watch, all right? You're not, the only thing is that while you do that to make you feel better in some ways about no one getting in there, what you're actually causing is a good possibility of getting into an accident, which is going to take more time from your day, of course, and also finances as well. So some of you hear all of this and you're like, people think all of these things and you've just lost a little bit more faith in humanity. Most of you guys especially know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there and you've thought about it, okay? Here's the thing. What I know about all of us is that we have been in situations in life that are similar to this merging. Remember, you can learn a lot when you drive, where we have felt that because of our generosity or just because we were there, that people in our lives have taken advantage of us, have trampled 
on us, have walked all over us. And whether that be kids who have hurt us or parents that have hurt us or classmates or neighbors or coworkers, we've all been in life situations like this traffic merge, this lane merge, where we have felt taken advantage of. We've been waiting for 15 minutes and all of a sudden someone just zips right in front of us and it is not fair. And the question that I want to raise with you today is what do you do with that? What do you do with those feelings of frustration and anger? You just hug the bumper of the car in front of you and get into an accident, right? <laughs> How do we handle those feelings? Do you know that God gives us a specific solution for that? He directly addresses it with something that works all of the time. It's just a really hard thing to do. It's called forgiveness. To forgive. That forgiveness is the key to handling the emotions of when people seem to trample on us, to hurt us, or have done something against us in one way or another. And as difficult as forgiveness is, and we're going to talk about it today, what you need to understand is that it works. That God knows what he's talking about. And that, in fact, our first fill-in for today, because here's where we're going, forgiveness has the power to impact your entire life. And the corollary of that is true, too. Some of you have been living this, that unforgiveness, the lack of forgiveness, has the power also to impact your entire life. That's what we're going today. We're going to unpack forgiveness and uh, get into another hard saying that Jesus had specifically about forgiveness. Let me give you a little bit of context to the section we're going to be looking at. It's the fourth week in a row that we're going to be in the biography of Jesus written by Matthew. And he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And the context around the section we're going to be looking at is this. Jesus had just got done teaching about what do you do when someone is continually and deliberately going against God's direction and God's will? Do you just stand there and let it happen and let them eventually get into an even more difficult situation? Or do you do something about it? And... As Jesus is teaching about what to do when someone is going against God's will, I have to imagine that Peter, who's one of the 12 listening, is thinking about all this, he's internally digesting it, and he's, he's thinking about, yeah, and sometimes when people go against God's will, not only does it hurt God, it also hurts the people around that person. And you know, I, I was thinking about Peter's life this past week as I was studying this, and I have to imagine that he experienced a lot of this. And especially maybe from his closest friends and family, and here's why. When he was a middle-aged man, he decided to sort of neglect and leave dad's business of fishing and to go and to follow this Jesus guy, which was a, would have been a really big decision and not universally loved by the people around him. And I'm sure there were people who said things. I'm sure there were people who did things. I'm sure there were things that Peter still had on his heart and his mind of how people had hurt him because not only weren't they following God's direction, but when they did, they also hurt Peter. 
And so Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Here's the question. Peter said, he asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? And then he throws out a number. How about up to seven times? Now, one of the things to understand about this number is that uh, according to uh, Jewish tradition, it sounds like at the time what people were taught was that you should forgive people three times, okay? And then the fourth time, do what you want. And, and the reason why they taught that was some uh, words from the prophet Amos that they kind of misunderstood a little bit. But three was the magic number. And so Peter here is feeling really generous with this seven number. He's, he's basically doubling the, the, the industry standard and adding one to it. How about seven times, Jesus? Here's what Jesus says. It's our hard saying. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times should you forgive, but 77 times. This would have shocked the people who are listening. They were, would not have expected Jesus to have a number that big. And in fact, unless you're someone who's heard this before, and even then, it's probably shocking you as well. 77 times to forgive someone? So, we just need to keep a tally mark, right? And when someone gets to 78, if they ever get to 78, then we don't have to forgive them anymore. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. The idea behind this, the reason why it's such a high number, is he was shocking people into recognizing that you always forgive. That there is never a time when you don't forgive. You don't just forgive seven times. If it ever happened, and it won't, but if it ever happened that someone sinned against you 77 times, even then, you should still forgive. This was so shocking and so difficult for the people to digest that Jesus then told an entire story that he made up, an entire story to help explain it. Here's that story, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, or what it means to be a child of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let me unpack this for a moment. So it's a story that Jesus made up, and he talks about a guy who owed 10,000 bags of gold. In the Greek, the actual, and even in some other translations, they translate the Greek more literally, the actual term is 10,000 talents, which was a weight measurement back in the first century. And what scholars conjecture is that, first of all, a talent was a lot of money, they aren't exactly sure how much, but it's somewhere in this range. One talent was either one year's worth of wages for a manual labor type of job. So in sort of our sort of money, let's say about $40,000, okay? One year's worth of wages, or up to some say 20 years of wages, which in that regard, would be $800,000. So one talent owed would be somewhere between 40 grand and 800 grand. And how many talents did this servant owe? 10,000 talents. Now that's a lot of math, okay? So 
He either owed, in Jesus' story, on the small side, $400 million. I mean, that'll get my bank to zero, that's for sure, my bank account. Or $8 billion if you use the bigger number. Once again, Jesus is, is putting the mount owed so high that everyone who heard it was like, there is no way that anyone could pay this amount back. It's too big of a number. They don't even count that high. 400 million, 8 billion. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, I guess not, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So they didn't have bankruptcy back then. What they did was you were sold yourself and your family into slavery to pay what you owed. So it was normal back then. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything, which is interesting. He could spend the rest of his life, every moment of his life, every second, trying to pay it back, but he would never have the time to pay back all that he owed. It would be impossible for him to pay it all back. So, verse 27, the servant's master understood that. He understood there is no way this guy, as patient as I would be, there's no way he could pay me back. So the master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. Paid in full, ripped it up, burned it up, whatever it might be, the debt no longer existed. Next verse. But when the servant went out, the one that had his debt forgiven he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. In the Greek, literally, it's a uh, hundred denarii. And one denarius was worth one day's wage. So a hundred denarii was approximately, let's say, about $10,000, okay? A hundred silver coins, about $10,000. Still a big number, not as big as eight billion, in case you were wondering. He grabbed him and began to choke the guy who owed him 10 grand. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. It's the uh, same exact words that the person who owed 400 million or 10,000 talents said. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. It's interesting. In this case, if he worked long enough, that guy probably could have. But the man who had his big debt forgiven refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master, the one who had forgiven the debt, called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you, in turn, similarly have had mercy on your fellow servant who owed you far less, just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. God values forgiveness. That forgiving is part of what it means to be of the family of God. Now, this is a really hard teaching. It's way easier to read about. It's a whole lot harder to do and to apply.
But I want to talk about three things today from this story about forgiveness. The first thing I want to talk about is the definition of forgiveness. What is forgiveness exactly and what is it not? Because there are a lot of misunderstandings out there about forgiveness. And so I want to debunk a couple of them. The first thing that I'd like to sort of debunk is this, that forgiveness does not mean forgetting. The truth of the matter is, if we were computers, we could go into the file and we could pull up the thing from 20 years ago, that Word document, and we could just press delete, then go into our recycle bin and delete all, and it's gone and we would never remember it if we were computers. But we're not wired that way. And some of the hurts, some of the things you have gone through, some of the experiences you've had, as hard as you try, and many of you are trying, but as hard as you try, you're never going to be able to totally eliminate the memory of it. And maybe you feel guilty because you haven't forgiven because you haven't forgotten. The truth of the matter is those two things are not synonymous. Forgiveness doesn't always mean forgetting. Next thing is this. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation either. So reconciliation, I would say, is one of the, the hopes of forgiveness. And all that means is that when you forgive, that the relationship you had before is restored to that same status as it was before through forgiveness. And I think this happens a lot in marriage. At least it should that we're continually forgiving each person and what you, each other. And when you forgive, you need to work towards this, reconciliation. That the relationship is restored into a good status. But that's not always possible with forgiveness. Here's why. You can choose to forgive, but you cannot choose what the other person does with that. You may want to reconcile, but if the other person doesn't want to or doesn't show even any remorse or consideration over it, as much as you want reconciliation, it just may not be possible. Here's the other thing of why forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. There's going to be situations where restoring the relationship exactly to the previous status isn't even the best thing. You know, I, I'm talking about light things on purpose, like people ticking us off in the merge lane and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, the reason why I went so light is because when you tackle the topic of forgiveness, there is some really big stuff that people are thinking about and that people are trying to sort of navigate through. Things like past abuse, whether that be physical, whether that be emotional, whether that be even sexual. Things like abandonment. Just the, the list is long, and it's a difficult thing, this whole forgiveness thing. And if some of you got up and told us your story, when we heard it, we'd probably be like, I don't know how I could forgive if I were you. Because there's a lot of things we go through and that you've gone through that are really, really difficult. And in some times and in some cases, maybe even in forgiveness, the best thing would be not to have the same relationship with that person, to put a distance between you, not to treat them badly, not to be vengeful against that person. But sometimes what has happened in the past means that the relationship needs to change a little bit. There can be forgiveness and not always reconciliation. So that's what forgiveness isn't. What is forgiveness? Do you know that of all of the Bible, this story from Jesus, I believe, gives us the clearest 
tangible, practical understanding of what forgiveness is. Let's go back to what the king or the master did with the 10,000 talent debt. It says this in verse 27. We read it before. The servant's master took pity on the man who owed 10,000 talents and canceled the debt and let him go. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is understanding that there is something owed and deciding to no longer need for there to be repayment. I want you to think about whenever someone has sinned against you and that there is forgiveness that is needed to be given, that what has happened is that they've incurred a debt to you. When someone hurts you, what's happened is they owe you something. Maybe what they owe you is a happy childhood, a stable home that you never had. Maybe what they owe you is the ability to father or mother your son or daughter every single day because the divorce made that impossible. Maybe what they owe you is status amongst your peers or your classmates because what they did took that from you. Maybe what they owe you is respect. Maybe what they owe you is money. Maybe what they owe you is honor, love, joy, peace in life is what they took from you. Maybe it was self-esteem, the way you feel about yourself. But every time someone hurts you and you need to forgive, something was taken from you. It's, it's owed to you. Our next villain, forgiveness is the decision to cancel the debt. That you acknowledge and recognize there is something owed to you, but instead of continuing to look for repayment, you're going to instead, like the master in the story, you're going to instead take that debt and you're going to cancel it. Um, in my study for this week, I ran across a pastor who, who gave this activity or exercise to his congregation, and I think it would be a good one for you to do too if it's something that strikes you as being beneficial. What he encouraged people to do is he recognized that a lot of times we forgive generally. I forgive you. Without getting specific. And so he encouraged people to take out a piece of paper and to spend some time writing down all the things that the person who hurt you took from you and owed you. And he said that when you do that, the list is probably going to be longer than you expected. <laughs> he also recognized that it's probably going to be somewhat of an emotional journey. But what he said is, until you take time to actually see what you are feeling they owe you, you're not going to recognize that half the things you want them to give you, they can't give you that they can't give you your childhood back. Even if they were sorry, even if they tried, they can't give that back to you. So often we are waiting for things from the person who's offended us, and to be really honest and truthful, they cannot give us back what we're hoping for. So what are you left to do? Continue to wait for someone to give you something that they can't give you? Impossible. Or you make a decision. I am not going to walk or spend my life anymore with this debt. 
and I'm going to burn it up. I'm going to, in this exercise, rip it up. I'm going to put it in a ball and throw it away. I'm canceling that person's debt that they owe me. Now, the thing I want you to realize as we continue to let all of this stir in our hearts is the benefit of forgiveness. You know, when, when Peter came to Jesus, um, I'm pretty sure if you read through the context that what, what he was thinking as he proposed a number was that when it comes to forgiveness, that the primary beneficiary of forgiveness is the person who's forgiven, is the offender. And so he felt pretty good about the seven times. That's pretty gracious of me. That's a pretty nice gift that I'm giving to the offender. But what Jesus also wanted Peter to realize, and he talks about this in other places of Scripture, is that the primary beneficiary to forgiveness is not the offender, but it's the forgiver. Oftentimes, and you test this to be true, you ask people, maybe this person is you, the people who have the most resentment and bitterness and are just hard people to be around are the people who struggle the most with forgiveness and probably have something in their past that they haven't forgiven. Because, let me give you an analogy. I, I talked about um, forgiveness um, and, and something that's a hurt against you being a debt. Let me give you another analogy. Um, I want you to think about it like an open wound. When, forgive, when someone's hurt you and it hasn't been addressed. When I was in college, um, I had to get some scar tissue uh, cut out of my back shoulder blade. And, you know, they stitched me up and everything, but it didn't, like, heal right overnight. So I went to classes the next day. And, you know, um, my friends really didn't know what was going on on my shoulder because on most days um, I wore a shirt to class um, and things. Just making sure you're still listening. All days I wore a shirt to class. And um, so I, I still remember I got to classes that day in the lunch line and someone behind me is like, how's it going, Ben? And they hit me right on that wound and it, as you might imagine, just killed. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't respond like with happiness and joy, like, oh, hi, good morning to you too. As I'm, I, I had the inability to smile, the inability to be happy because that wound, even though they didn't cause it, they unknowingly bumped into it and I couldn't be happy and I had bitterness and it affected the relationship in that little snippet of time on that day. An unhealed wound from the past will create pain in your present. That's how it works. Forgiveness unaddressed is like an open wound that has never been healed. And even though the people around you now probably didn't cause it, they're still going to receive the effects of it if it's not addressed, if the wound isn't healed. Our third fill-in. Forgiveness helps release your present from the grip of the past. Did you know Jesus is a smart guy? That's like the understatement of the year. Jesus knew what he was talking about. In fact, here's why I know. Because the Mayo Clinic agrees with Jesus. Okay? You can Google this, but a couple years ago, the Mayo Clinic did a study about forgiveness and unforgiveness. 
And what they found in their research is that here are all the benefits of people who forgive well. Healthy relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, less anger, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system through forgiveness. You should forgive. Improved heart health. Forgiveness is of a blessing to the offender. But Jesus is so smart. God knows what he's talking about. It isn't even more of a blessing in many ways to the forgiver. You should forgive. And you should eat healthy all the time too. But it can be hard. And it's a process. And it's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. But that's where we get to this, the key, the key to forgiveness. You know, we go back to the parable. And I want to ask you, who are you in the parable? Are you the master, the king? All right, we can just kind of X that one out. None of, I mean, some of you think you're the king at home, but no, you're not the king in this parable, okay? Are you the one who owed 10,000 talents or are you the one who owed... 100 denarii. And in Jesus' point to Peter in this parable, and you are, many of you already got it, we are the ones who owed 10,000 talents. The amount of money that no one could ever repay no matter how long they tried. That's us. And it's not money. It's sin. We have incurred a debt with our holy God, with all of the woulda, shoulda, couldas in our life that we quickly put under the rug, but no, they're sin. And they are incurring a debt with the broken promises of best intentions that don't end up happening. With all the times we said, we're going to dedicate ourselves to a closer walk with God, and then we let sports or hobbies or whatever it is, get Netflix, get in the way. And over and over and over, we're the $8 billion people. And that's what Jesus wanted Peter to realize. And the thing is that the way we are to forgive, the key to forgiveness is by recognizing that we do it all under the shadow of the cross. That when we forgive it's a reflection of what we have been given. Or to put it this way, let's go two slides up. Forgiven people will forgive people. Forgiven people will forgive people. Because at a certain point, yet, if you're still wrestling with this and I'm doing my best job to convince you to forgive and you're still like, ah, I'm not so sure, Ben. I don't know that you've convinced me yet. Here's the thing. It's not really up for you to decide whether you want to or not. Because those who have been forgiven much are told to forgive. And it's not easy. And sometimes it's a process all the time. But there is no choice. God has called us who have been forgiven much to be forgivers as well. And so, sometimes it's a mind trick. Sometimes it's a heart thing. And so here's, here's my application for you. Number four, dwell on the gift that Jesus has given you and the enormity of it instead of dwelling on the debt that you think you're owed. 
If you're having a hard time forgiving someone, I get it. I understand. But here's where you need to start. Dwell more on the amazing debt that was canceled, 10,000 talents, instead of focusing on the 100 denarii that maybe were taken. So here's a question as we close. How long are you going to allow the hurt of the past to influence your joy in the present? And maybe today, through this parable, this hard saying of Jesus, we've come to a point where we're saying, we're not going to let that happen anymore. We're not going to allow that hurt to affect my joy anymore today. I am going to make a decision, as hard as it is and as long as it may take, I am going to cancel that debt. And Lord, help me, because forgiven people forgive people. And we have been forgiven much. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, um, we thank you for this teaching. I mean, you, you shocked Peter, I'm sure. You shocked us today 77 times. This is hard. It is. It's difficult. And yet, when we recognize it, it's a reflection. It's a response to the amazing gift of forgiveness that you've given. We pray that you would give us the strength to simply cancel the debt that other people owe us, to not look for payment that they can't even give to us, but instead to live in the joy of debts forgiven, our own and also those around us. I pray that strength for the people in this room who maybe have been struggling a long time with forgiveness. Be with them and bless them in this journey. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.